Welcome everyone to the CEO.Digital show. My name is Craig McCartney and I'll be your host that's going to guide you through an open exploration of technologies and trends straight from the C-suite. You'll hear insights will help you better deliver results for your company and its stakeholders. We'll be interviewing a range of C-suite executives, those that are creating technology to those that are implementing it to support their businesses. Find out more and stay up to date at ceo.digital. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Today's guest is Patrick Smith, field CTO for MIA at Pure Storage. Patrick is an IT leader with considerable experience in financial services, uh, where he spent a lot of time focused on infrastructure and engineering. He has and experience managing global teams with a proven track record of delivering innovative enterprise-wide standards and solutions, and is currently a change agent at Pure Storage, paving the way for innovation and working with these customers to deliver solutions to, to meet their needs. Welcome to the CEO.Digital show, Patrick. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Craig. It's great to be here. So, Patrick, this does go out to um, other CTOs, some working for technology companies, some working for large enterprises, but I'm quite keen to understand your journey to becoming the field CTO for MIA for Pure Storage. Can you give us a quick overview of your career to date? Yeah, it's been a bit varied to get here, and I guess one of the things that's, that's always been true of my career, it's always been involved in technology all the way from leaving college, being a design engineer, actually, in the world of electronic design for data systems. So right from the age of 22, being involved in data and, and still you know, being in a career that's all focused around data is, is almost like going full circle. But then moving into the world of financial services nearly 30 years ago and running around a trading floor was one of the greatest introductions I think you can have to the importance of technology to business, being at the, the coalface of some fairly impatient customers when you're on the, sitting on a trading floor, when effectively their life support system is the screens that they have in front of them and the telephony that they have. It makes you realize how important technology is to businesses and how, how mission critical it is. And I actually, I love that period of my career. It was kind of really, it's when you learn about everything in, in the world of technology, whether it's desktops, whether it was servers, whether it was networking, whether it was business applications, the whole lot, you become, you know, it's a great grounding. So that really was my first step in, in financial services. And then I was very lucky to be able to move from supporting traders to defining the technology and the technology standards that supported financial services and the banks that I worked for. And that then becomes really interesting because you switch from fixing problems on the trading floor to providing solutions that, with the aim that they don't have those problems in the first place. So you get to be able to fix things further up the life cycle. And that's, that's really interesting. So yeah, it's, it's been a whole career based in technology and then being able to move after what 25 years in financial services to the other side of the table and move to being on the vendor side has been a real eye-opener and actually a real privilege with, with the role I have. 
being able to talk to lots of customers and prospects about the technology problems they face and how we at Pure can help help address them in lots of different ways. So yeah, it's been a quite a journey over the last, I don't even like to think about the fact it's been 30 years, but over the last 30 years. What made you make the jump to the vendor side? It's really interesting. One of the things that I loved about the world of financial services is that we were always pushing on the, the cutting edge of innovation. We always looked at new technology, always got an insight into what new technology providers were doing, went and met them, got insight into their roadmaps, and deployed you know, fairly early stage technology to help stay ahead of the competition. What I found probably for since 2008 was that technology within financial services wasn't so much about following innovation and, and driving change. It was more about delivering cost reductions, addressing the challenges of regulators and internal audit. And, it, you know, it, was, it wasn't as exciting as it had been. And I'd been lucky enough that I'd been a customer of Pure's and seen how Pure were driving an innovation agenda, changing the way people looked at the management of data and the platforms that they were using to support their data requirements. And having the opportunity to move into Pure as, as the field CTO in EMEA just suddenly made a whole load of sense in terms of going back to innovation, getting out of the world of financial services and getting a view more broadly across all of the verticals that we support. Um, all of the different customers we support was just just felt like a great opportunity. The other thing that I really liked was the ability to be based in London and yet be able to influence the direction of a technology company based out of Silicon Valley. And that that's a real privilege to be able to do that. And yeah, tell me a little bit about what you're working on at Pure then. I mean, is there any... Are there any innovations that uh, you can share and how are you helping your customers at the moment? I think we're going through a really interesting period in, in technology more broadly um, in, in several big areas. You know, one area is customers are increasingly adopting the public cloud. And, you know, I think we're seeing a maturing of their understanding about how they make use of the public cloud. And whereas probably three years ago, everyone felt that the public cloud was going to solve all of their technology challenges, I think there's a realization now that there's a balance to be struck here. And actually, understanding fitness for purpose around where people put their workloads between different public cloud providers, different SaaS providers, their own environments is really interesting. And so I think we're, we're seeing a general maturing there in that thinking. And that spans across all of their different application requirements. The other thing that we're definitely seeing is something that I saw in Deutsche Bank before I joined Pure was the move of applications to making use of containers and Kubernetes. And that's been a really interesting change. Before I joined Pure, Deutsche Bank had moved to a container-first strategy. And I think they were pretty early in doing that. 
So I've been talking pretty much since I joined Pure about the importance of, of containerization and Kubernetes and modern application architectures. And we took a, a really significant step in that direction with the acquisition of, of a company called Portworks that gives us a great platform for data in Kubernetes. And now we're able to help customers solve some of the big challenges of moving their business critical and enterprise applications onto Kubernetes where, where historically they wouldn't be able to do that. So that's getting really interesting as well. And the reason why I like that is because it's applicable to customers regardless of where they're running their applications, whether they're running them in the cloud, whether they're running them on-premise, it really doesn't matter. And we can help them with that flexibility. So that's a really interesting trend that we're seeing a, a huge amount of traction in. And how are you, as you know, the CTO for, for this region here in Europe, how, how do you drive innovation at Pure? What's your role and, and how do you work with your team to discover the next big thing? It's really interesting. One of the, the things that I enjoy about the role at Pure is, is being part of the international CTO organization. So, you know, part of a team, it's a small team. We have, you know, myself and, and, and my colleague Fred in Amir. We have two in APJ, two in, in the US. And our role is to talk to our customers about the challenges that they're seeing how we make sure that our products are aligned with you know, the directions that they're moving in and how we can influence the roadmap to help that. So we're really the eyes and ears of HQ in the field. And that helps us get an early insight into what challenges they're facing and how we can either address them with our current product set or evolve our product set to address those requirements as, as we look to the, the near future. So it's really interesting having that role. And, you know, it's great now to be able to once again start meeting with those customers in person again. Um, and rather than sitting at the end of a Zoom window, sitting actually across the table and talk about the challenges they're facing in their environments and, and how we can help address them. And who are those customers? Are they other CTOs within, within those businesses? Or what's the sort of, who's the ideal person that you would, would speak to? It's really interesting. I'm happy to talk to anybody within any customer. But, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Last week, I jumped on the tube into London and, and sat down for almost two hours with the CTO of a hedge fund who was trying to understand how Pure could help him make a difference in his organization. Equally, you know, the week before, I was uh, lucky enough to be hosting some of our guests, the Formula One at Silverstone, and, and you know, was sitting down with the head of technology from Mercedes AMG Petronas, you know, who are a, a great customer of ours, and and um, we have a good partnership with them there. And I always think that that's fascinating how technology driven the world of F1 is. It's a sport that. I've been a fan of since I was a child. So to be, you know, involved in that in that space is is uh, hugely exciting. But equally, it's not just this CTOs in our customers or, or senior leadership in in the world of technology in our customers. Equally important to Pure is is our partner ecosystem, and so meeting with CTOs and technology leaders at our partners is 
is also very important for us because they're the force multiplier as, as we look at how Pure goes to market. And so making sure that they understand our strategy, our messaging, the direction we're going in is equally key. And I know we, we just touched on this briefly. You know, we, we spoke about driving innovation uh, and I guess, you know, you, you're hearing what the customers need and then you're trying to build and mold products around that. And how it's not, you know, innovation is not always about technology, is it? It's, a, it's about the people. It's about the people in the organization and inspiring them and creating a culture for that sort of innovation. Is that something that rings true to you? And how are you trying to build a culture like that at Pure? Yeah, it's a really interesting point. When I look at my career in financial services, I was primarily always involved in the world of engineering and building new capabilities and new services. And so that's all about embracing change. And one of the things that I really enjoy in meetings with customers is getting them to see the value of driving change and how, you know, having a change mindset can help them deliver new capabilities into their organizations, break the status quo. You know, so many people familiar with the technology that they've got, familiar with the processes they've got, and they don't want to change. And one of the things that I've always viewed about technology is that the unshakable thing is it's always changing. And if you don't change, if you stand still, then you're just going to get left behind. And that's true. Interesting, that's true at a personal level within an organization, if you don't embrace new technologies, but it's also true at a company level. If you don't embrace change, then you'll get left behind. Your competitors will outpace you in terms of innovation, new capabilities, attracting new customers. And so it's incredibly important, I think, now more than ever for organizations and individuals to innovate and embrace change. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, I think it's, yeah, once you've got the people behind you, it's a lot easier Yes. And I think that's an interesting one is sometimes you have to make a stand to be an agent of change. And, you know, it's not always do you have people behind you to, to support that. And sometimes you have to just pick up that baton and run with it and drive change. Because in any organization, you have people who are change agents whose responsibility is to drive change and move the ball forward. And then you've got people actually whose responsibility is around consistency and stability. And quite naturally, they are resistant to change because, you know, stability involves largely keeping things the same. And there's a balancing act there to be done. But there's also, as a change agent, the, the need to be able to convince people and encourage them to embrace change and, and show them the value that change can bring. Yeah, and there's an element of risk there, I think, that you take on as a, a change agent. Do you ever have times where you, you're running with the baton and and then, you know, you're hoping that it all goes to plan? Uh, obviously, there's a, you know, there's a, um, a fear element there as well. I'm sure you also experienced uh, those times. I think anybody who embraces new technology 
always understands the risk involved. And, you know, we've seen so many of those technology transitions, whether it's making big bets, for instance, the rise of Linux. If we go back to the early 2000s, you know, Linux was this embryonic technology platform, open source, not many people were using it, enterprises absolutely weren't using it. And then, you know, I was at Merrill Lynch at the time, we got behind Linux to a to a really significant degree. And now, you know, every organization is using Linux, but there was a point when it was a high risk step to make, you know, running enterprise Oracle databases on Linux, it was an outrageous idea. The idea of virtualizing everything with VMware and using VMware for production applications. There was a point when that was a high risk step. And now everyone, everyone uses VMware. And now actually people are looking at how much they're using VMware. The use of containerization and that step and developers were all making use of containers, but then the potential now that we're seeing for enterprise applications to make use of containers and you know even now very much like 20 years ago running databases on on linux now the idea of running mission critical databases on kubernetes data rich data applications is the step that people are making so i think it's always interesting when you look at back at history it helps to reinforce the fact that you do need to embrace change because if you don't you'll get left behind linux now firmly established in the enterprise environment, VMware firmly established in the enterprise environment, containers absolutely becoming established. And if we roll forward five years, I'm absolutely convinced will will have its place in in every enterprise data center. So you have to make those what appear high risk steps that then actually position you to, to move forward. Yeah. And do you have any uh, predictions or notions for that next five years, what could be that next? Is there a technology coming down the pipeline which you know is exciting but feels also risky? Yeah, I think it's almost there are some interesting ones at the moment that people talk about a lot that I think are probably further out than than folks expect. We've talked about blockchain for a long time. There's definitely usage of, of blockchain in, in lots of enterprises, but I don't I'm not sure how long it'll take before that becomes you know, mainstream. Equally, people talk, have talked about quantum computing for a long time, and you know, we still read about it in the press today with people doing interesting investigations into quantum computing. I think that's even further off in terms of that. The near term, absolutely the usage of, of Kubernetes and containers broadly across organizations. You know, we, if we talk about big bets, the big bet, I took in my professional career as well in, in terms of adopting Pure. And, you know, that that step to using flash storage broadly, even before I joined Pure, we were looking at the at the reality of an all-flash data center, which I think has, has never been more true um, than today. But even then, it's interesting looking at the number of, of vendors in that space that didn't make it. You know, it's it's one of the interesting big bets you place is, oh, okay, which is a vendor that's going to, you know, achieve escape velocity and be able to make it versus either be acquired or go out of business. And we still see that today. 
the, the technology vendors that, that don't achieve critical mass. Yeah, I think all very interesting. And I will pay heed to your, uh, your predictions around uh, Kubernetes and uh, containerization. I'm going to shift gears now and just talk about a theme that's slightly different. We have seemed to cover this topic quite a lot on the show, spoken to various experts um, from both the vendor side and also, say, the enterprise side. And I'm going to talk a little bit about sustainability. Now, I'm quite interested to hear what's your view on sustainability and the future of sustainability and how does technology plan to play a role in that from your perspective? And then if you can talk a little bit about anything that's relevant to what you're doing at Pure Storage, that would also add a bit of context. Yeah, I think certainly we've never seen as much focus on sustainability as we do right now. On the back of COP26 last year in Glasgow, which seems like a, a lifetime away to, you know, even just the sky high temperatures in the UK last week, it's brought climate change to the forefront of, of every discussion. And then actually the flip side of that, if you look at what's happening to energy costs right now, you know, people are looking at being able to run their technology environment more efficiently than they could, either because the commitments coming from the top of the house, the board, the senior leadership within an organization, or because they are seeing that they need to reduce their energy costs because they're having an impact on, on the bottom line. So either way, it's raising the focus and the visibility of how efficiently they're running the data center. And let's face it, the data center for a lot of organizations is, is a big ticket item in terms of consuming energy and producing greenhouse gas emissions. So it's never been more important to our customers. One of the things that we realized very early on was that moving to flash technology for data storage allowed organizations to reduce their data center footprint. And it's interesting, when I, was, when I was a customer, I looked at the data center footprint benefits of Pure versus the competition, and they, they were act absolutely significant, but it was back in 2015, 2016. And climate change wasn't such a big focus for us on the customer side then. Now, what we realize is that the capabilities that we've got with Pure are absolutely significant benefits in terms of reducing the power consumption of data storage using our tech. And the fact that we built our tech from the ground up to make use of Flash rather than retrofitting Flash into a legacy architecture means that we're significantly more efficient than a lot of our competitors. The other thing I think is really interesting in this space is the whole area of e-waste and the idea that people throw away their technology every three or four years because it's no longer fast enough or performant enough or supportable to sit in an enterprise data center. And one of the things that, that we did at Pure was introduce a concept called Evergreen by which every three or four years, a customer doesn't throw away 
the whole platform. They simply replace the, the, the smart components within the system, the controllers, and the array gets better over time without anybody replacing the whole system. And that reduces the e-waste really significantly, which has to be a good thing as we look at the, the whole ecosystem around enterprise technology. So I think those two are absolutely essential as we look at how organizations are meeting their targets in terms of environmental footprint. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Patrick. I um, I realize I'm chopping and changing here. So, uh, but just uh, it's definitely a theme and rightly so. Uh, but uh, great to hear the, the things that you guys are doing around there. In terms of, I know we've done a couple of events together recently where we've done some uh, wonderful wine tasting. And I know storage as a service as another theme has come up quite a bit. Uh, I know I've heard your take on it and, you know, I found it quite interesting. But for our listeners, I was wondering if you could um, just give us your take on, you know, what, how does storage as a service drive efficiency for organizations and how important is it, do you think, um, you know, for the future of the enterprise? Yeah, I think we're seeing the way people consuming technology is changing and it's largely driven by taking some of the, the best bits of the cloud and understanding how organizations can have the same experience in their own data center or in, in, a, in a colo facility. And that is being able to consume infrastructure, in our case, a storage as a service, being able to pay not for ownership of an asset and have that ownership locked in for three or four years, but to be able to consume storage simply as a service and only pay for the amount of data you write. So you're not stuck in with that with that investment for a long period of time. You have flexibility to be able to consume as much or as little as you need. And it allows organizations to change the way they look at the data platform and especially the way they manage the data platform. They don't need to have people assigned to doing capacity management to make sure you know that there's enough capacity on the floor to meet business demand in the evergreen one model that we have at pure we do that we take that heavy lifting off the shoulders of the customer we make sure there's always enough capacity in the customer's data center to meet business demand but equally we also don't over provision the amount of capacity that's in the customer's data center. So often a customer will put a platform in and they will provision enough capacity for the expected end state in three or four years time, which means they're over provisioning in the near term to make sure they've got enough capacity in the future. And back to that point on sustainability, it means that they're using a, producing a whole load of greenhouse gas emissions for technology that they don't expect to use for 24 or 36 months. And that simply doesn't make sense. So this idea of being able to have capacity on demand that we provide and make sure we're always ahead of that demand curve allows customers to actually appear as agile as the cloud providers, but to be able to provide those same agile services in their own data centers. And that's that's a great scenario for our customers. No longer is, is infrastructure seen as the slow wheel 
or the slow cog within the data center. It can be fast, it can deliver capabilities and new services as a customer demands. And so it really changes the dynamic, I think, being able to move to a storage as a service offering. Yeah, the, the as a service world, you can literally get anything nowadays, can't you, as a service? I mean, I think the strangest thing I've got is uh, Biltong as a service, which is, uh, you know, cured meats uh, from South Africa. I um, have not heard of that. That is a really <laughs> interesting one. So it doesn't relate to storage, of course, but uh, it just made me think that you, literally you can get everything nowadays. Hey, um, so I every think... two weeks you get a delivery of biltong coming yeah, through the door, do you? Yeah, basically. It's pretty good. i got a wine one and a biltong one. So, <laughs> <laughs> What more could you want? Have you got any unusual uh, as-a-service subscriptions? I don't. Um, <laughs> I have too many as-a-service subscriptions, like, like, like many people. As oh soon gosh. as my children say, ah, there's this TV program or this movie and it's on this particular service, you end up with a new one. But uh, no, I don't have any strange ones, I don't. <laughs> I know, I deleted my Sky thinking I was uh, saving money, but now I have all the other streaming services as a service, so it's going well. Uh, thanks, Patrick. Uh, yeah, I am sorry. I know we were delving into all the technology and then I, I just threw... Uh, um, cured meat uh, at you. But um, let's talk a little bit about just a bit more on technology because that's obviously the theme of the show. I've got two more questions. The first one is, is there anything in your industry or um, you know, coming from customers uh, when you're speaking to them that you feel is not getting enough airtime um, or attention uh, currently? Yeah, it's a good question, isn't it? I think not getting enough airtime the interesting conversations that I think customers are still getting their heads around in terms of dealing with it is, you know, the whole cybersecurity threat. It doesn't go away. It's always been there. And I think one of the challenges that customers find is there are so many different ways to address the challenge of cybersecurity, and especially, you know, in, in our world of, of data, the threat of ransomware, that often people are don't know which way to turn because everybody says, oh, we have a solution for ransomware. Some of them are, I think, hard to implement, and some of them take a long time to implement. And one of the things about the threat of ransomware is you need something to deliver and, and will provide tangible benefits quickly. And so... It's an area that we play in pretty successfully as a storage platform. But one of the interesting things is that it's not always the, the storage team who feel it's their responsibility to deliver a solution to protect against ransomware. And so it's then interesting to be able to talk to the CISOs within an organization, the people who are on the hook for security and explain to them how you know, storage can play a key part in providing that safety net, that backstop, you know, how you can recover your data sets as quickly as possible if the worst happens and a ransomware attack is successful within your organization. So it's definitely one of the, the big ticket items that organizations are absolutely aware of, but I think too many of them put their heads in the sand, dare I say it. Is storage not a prime target for for hackers and, and cybersecurity threats or is that protected 
within a data center. Excuse my ignorance. I'm- no, absolutely not. It's um, it absolutely is. And and what we see with attackers is they are, you know, they're not just attacking the servers and getting to the underlying data through the front door of the server. They are looking at attacking all of the key infrastructure components within the data center. And so it's one of the tie, the reasons why an attacker actually sits within um, a victim's uh, environment and observes what's going on for so long is they want to know where all the key components are. They want to be able to exploit vulnerabilities in those key components within the environment before they launch their attack. And storage platforms are absolutely one of those key components that they're looking at. The other one that um, is is a big focus is the data protection environment, the backup environment, because many organizations will say, well, if I'm attacked, then I'm going to go to my data protection environment, my backup environment to restore. And so attackers will ensure that that's destroyed at the same time when they launch their attack. So being able to have a data set that is beyond the reach of an attacker beyond the reach of compromised credentials is is absolutely essential and that's what we provide interesting yeah always good to to dig a bit deeper um especially to just for my own benefit so final thing uh, before we sort of jump into a more uh, fun round uh, if you want to call it that is you know we we've got um, a few listeners here who who are i guess ambitious technology people who are um, perhaps knocking on the door of CTO or CIO, have you got any uh, career advice or, or any useful golden nuggets to share with, with people like that who, who want to become a CTO? And, you know, from your experience, what do you think um, it takes to, to become a good CTO? Well, it's a great question, isn't it? I think there's no one key thing there. I think a couple of things that I've, I definitely observe and, one is back to that point we talked about earlier of embracing change. I think CTO needs to be a change agent. Equally, be connected to the business. There's no point in driving technology change for the sake of technology change. It has to have business value. And so that tight connection with the business is is essential. And then I think one of the things that I did in my financial services career that that was a really good step is embrace mobility and take control of your own career. And the best thing actually that I did was going and working in HQ when I worked for an American bank and, you know, moving from London to New York and spending what five years in total living and working in New York was, was a great step for me. So I'd, I'd always recommend that as if that opportunity ever arises to have geographic mobility and work in HQ, it's, it's always um, worth doing. But overall, I'd say don't be afraid to take risks. That's, that's what it comes down to. Great. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you so much for sharing some of that insight. It's been yeah, very educational, at least uh, from my perspective. So this is the round where we get to dig a little bit deeper into uh, Patrick Smith, who you are, what makes you tick. 
And it's a bit of a fun round that we introduce at the end of every podcast. The normally the first question I ask is, what is your sort of guilty technology pleasure? Does anything spring to mind? It's pretty funny. I was thinking about this, Craig, and guilty technology pleasure is almost a kind of a a guilty technology secret because <laughs> I'm talking about innovation and you know driving change and it's almost like the shoemaker's children is um I've kind of I live what I preach on sustainability. I, I run my technology until it's pretty old. Um, I have so many <laughs> friends who talk about the latest and greatest piece of tech and I run my iPhone until it's three or four years old and then I give it to child number one and then it cascades down to child number two, you know. <laughs> so that that's probably my guilty secret is is my tech at home tends to be pretty old. <laughs> that's a good one. Well, thank you for your honesty there. Um, and then are you, in terms of um, any, are you reading, in, do you read any good books or listen to any good podcasts? So I'm a big reader. But I don't read tech books or kind of personal development books. I'm a crime fan, so I've been all the way through Ian Rankin's Rebus novels. So Crime on the Streets of Edinburgh is uh, is my go-to, but I've run out of those now. So I'm waiting for him to write the next one. So I've switched (laughs) to to, uh, a writer called uh, Mick Heron who okay. is uh, really interesting. So I've just I've just finished reading Slow Horses by him, which I'm now watching on Apple TV talking of subscription. Uh, and okay. it's uh it's a really good really good read and uh, actually a really good watch. So um, okay. those That's are my good. top tips there. Great. Okay. And then this is also quite interesting. So, you know, what what would your colleagues say that you did or how would they describe what you do and how then would your family describe what you do yeah it's a, that's a great question my family have always had a hard time understanding what i do i think <laughs> when i used to when i used to do work in, in financial services my grandmother always used to think i ran around a trading floor with a screwdriver which sometimes was true uh, but generally <laughs> you don't need a screwdriver to fix traders problems today you know if if you were to ask my son what I do, then it's it's grounded in the world of, of our partnership with, with Mercedes because he really likes the world of Formula One and, and Lewis Hamilton. So he talks to his friends about what I do in relation to um, how our tech helps the Mercedes Formula One team, which is no bad thing. I'm quite happy with that association. Yeah, yeah of course. It's better than the screwdriver on a trading floor. Yeah, it's a lot more glamorous, isn't it? (laughs) Well, that's that's great. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you for sharing. I really enjoyed talking to you. I know when I when we run these events, I always enjoy um, hearing you when when you host uh, the guests. And I'm glad we got to do this. So thank you so much for your time. No, thanks very much, Craig. It's been a pleasure chatting this morning. Definitely. And uh, yeah, if you liked what you heard, please do like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and do check out um, the rest of our guests. Thanks for listening.